call to worship today is from, from Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and His praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their Maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their King. Let them praise His name with the dance. Let them sing praises to Him with the timbrel and the harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all his saints. Praise the Lord. Let us turn now to Psalm 1 for our scripture reading for today. That would be page 448 in your Hugh Bible, the very first psalm, a psalm of David. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Thus is the reading of the Holy Word of God from Psalm 1. You may be seated, and we will... Be in Mark chapter 6, continuing on here. Page 841. The disciples have had their first excursion on their own, and it's fairly successful. And now we uh, come to a rather disturbing portion of God's word here in Mark chapter 6 verse 14. Thus is the reading of the holy word of God. King Herod heard of it for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John, and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. 
and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she immediately came with haste to the king and, and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. Thus is the reading of the word of the Lord. Mark chapter 6. We thank you for this sobering story, Lord. It's even horrific story. We pray that you help us to make sense of it and to understand it. <clears throat> we pray that you help us to know your word through the power of your spirit, that it will equip us for your service in your son's name. Amen. So who or what do you fear? Everyone fears someone or, or something, and, and even even Christians in the, in the New Testament were told that, that we're to fear the Lord. So it's all a matter of the object of our fear, and, and, and we can see as an example of this kind of, that the, when, when storms, when vicious storms hit, whether it's here or a hurricane or whatever, and they destroy everything which, which is not anchored down. They just, the winds uh, do their damage. Yet, a mature, rooted tree survives the storm. And this is what we will seek to compare in this story we have before us today. Those who have a deep-rooted Faith that allows them to not have paralyzing fear in the face of wickedness. This passage will show us what a proper fear looks like. So, we see that King Herod has heard of Jesus. It's become known to him. And he's heard of his great works and his, and his preaching, and we, we soon come to understand that he believes that John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. He believes that Jesus is the resurrected Baptist, and, and he is struggling greatly with this because he has murdered John. He has had him executed. And so we're kind of flashing back here quite a bit in this passage 
His wicked conscience is attacking him. King Herod has a strange relationship with John. And and we see here as well that his his inner circle, his entourage, so to speak, they were uh, those around him were, were were of differing opinions of who Jesus was. Some said Elijah. Well, John the Baptist was was the Elijah that was to come. Uh, others said he is a, a prophet or the prophet, like the one who who they believed was to come and to usher in. Uh, the glory of Israel, and others just believe that he's a, he is a prophet. Whatever it was they were believing, though, they understood that, that Jesus was doing great miracles. That he was preaching with, with authority and power. What they know is that he has been doing healings and driving out demons. And yet, Herod still believes that Jesus is the resurrected John the Baptist. And yet, you know, we have absolutely no recorded evidence that John was doing any miracles whatsoever. So Herod must have believed that John's resurrection came with supernatural power. And Herod does have a morsel of truth here as, as, as all lies and deceptions generally have a morsel of truth. There is supernatural power at work. And the one he believes is John will be resurrected through the supernatural work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, Herod is, is, is right to be frightened. But like so many folks, he is he's frightened of the wrong thing and his conscience is, is going to betray him. So he's with all these discussions with his entourage, he's been he's been haunted by his treatment of of John, verse sixteen, but when Herod heard of it he he said it is John whom I beheaded, who has been raised. And then it goes into the story of, of what happened. His flashback, his interaction with John the Baptist, and, and it's important to, to understand who Herod was. The Herods were partially Jewish, a little bit of Jewish blood, and so they would use this to kind of try and gain favor with their Jewish audience, their Jewish uh, <clears throat> citizens or however you want to put that. And in fact, uh, they, they Herod the Great here did a great and magnificent beautification of the temple. And he had a quite a, uh, a building spree, if you were, trying to, to gain favor with the Jews. Yet, the reputation of the Herods went before them. They were a, a wicked, wicked family. And Herod, knowing the, the culture and context of the Jewish people, as he did, 
certainly should have known that marrying his brother's divorced wife was against Jewish law. Verse 18, For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So, he should have known this. John the Baptist sure did, and he had no issue speaking truth to power. And that should be the same with, with all Christians, whether in authority or not. When there's an overreach of power or there's just outright public flaunting of wickedness, we are perfectly within our rights and maybe even obligated to speak truth to power to the wicked in our nation who are trying to draw away people to the kingdom of hell. So while we can't just jump in our bully pulpit, so to speak, and just preach upon politics every week, necessarily as, 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 as we see fit, but the Bible brings it to the forefront time and time and time again, whether you're talking about uh, Enoch or Moses or the prophets, Jesus, John the Baptist and the apostles. It naturally comes up and, and when Scripture confronts us with these issues, we speak to them. And John's confrontation with Herod over his adultery and wickedness is inspiring and brave in a day when, when we hear every, every day of some pseudo-celebrity that announces something and people say they're brave. Oh, look at how brave they are for, for announcing their sin and their love of this sin. And all they're doing is capitulating to the majority of people who, who love their sin. That is not brave. What John is doing here is inspiring and brave, confronting a ruler, Herod, who has the authority over his physical life and death. And John feared God. And John was not all about influencing people and winning friends if it meant that it was a compromise with the world, forsaking his Lord. And, and also let's make sure, as much as Herod had this strange fear of, uh, and, and relationship and love for John in some way, he, he didn't want this meddling in his personal life either. He knew, as it tells us, that, that John was a righteous and holy man and, and so he, he protected him for a time and, and it even says he enjoyed listening to him. He knew that, that John spoke the truth. John was not like a reed blown by the wind. Remember the passage where Jesus talks to his disciples saying, what did you think you'd see when you went down to see John? A reed blown by the wind? No, no, no. This is... Jesus told him he was a, a great prophet. Matthew 11. 
And Herod knew that this stalwart man who feared God, this great prophet of the Lord, he knew that John was not impressed by his title. Well, in fact, it's kind of funny. The the title of king for Herod had been rejected by Caesar. Caesar had said, no, we're not calling you a king. And so this may be a very mocking reference in this account, calling him King Herod. Because that had been rejected by Caesar. He said, no, 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 you're not a king. You're just the governor of this small little province. But John wasn't impressed by his title, his fake title, his power, his prestige. John was an oak, never bending, standing tall, strong. He was not afraid of any puny storm that that some second-rate politician could bring upon him. And while Herod had this strange affection for John, and he protected him, this was not whatsoever the case with his wife, his ill-gotten wife, Herodias. She had a grudge against John and wanted to put him to death. But she could not because Herod was protecting him. But she despised him. She wanted him dead. And she was conspiring. Verse 21 then tells us, but an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles. Ah, this was what she was waiting for. Herod had lived a reckless and debauched life. His wickedness was well known. There's little doubt that his birthdays were, this was not unusual for him on his birthday to have a party as, as is described here, an excessive, gaudy party. And here, Herodias knew she could bend this weak reed, Herod, to her will. And as Herodias' daughter, we'll just call her Salome, we don't know if that's actually her name or not, that's what history, the name history gives to her, but it just makes it easier. We'll call her Salome. As she swayed back and forth dancing, so did Herod. He was hooked. And his conscience was bent. And he rashly promised Herodias practically anything. And in reality, this isn't that great of a promise. She's got half his kingdom. She's his daughter-in-law. Her mom's married to him. But he still made this crazy, extravagant promise. And Salome wastes no time as she goes and talks to her mother what she should ask for. And without skipping a beat, Herodias says, the head of John the Baptist. And and once again it says, immediately she came in with haste to the king 
saying, I want you to give me the head of John the Baptist. And notice what she added. On a platter. So she well understood that this banquet was going to be having the main dish of John the Baptist's head as the center of it. She's mocking her father-in-law knowing that he loves this holy man of God in some strange way and central to his debauched feast is going to be John the Baptist's head. Just what an evil and despicable request this was from from Herodias and and then added to it by, by Salome. And it's just interesting even as you contrast Salome with or Herodias with Herod. Was she a reed blown by the wind? Well, no, she wasn't. She was, <laughs> you could say a lot of things about her. But she <coughs> did what she wanted. And she was a strong tree, an evil tree. And she was not going to let a camel-haired, locust-eating, desert-dwelling hermit rebuke her. And so her and her daughter conspired against John the Baptist, this great oak. And when Herod hears of this, oh yeah, he's grieved. Briefly, like a two-year-old whose toy has been lost or taken away, and then quickly looks over and finds another toy to play with. He's he's got a a temporary grief, maybe not unlike what uh, that the kind of repentance that uh, uh, that it says that Judas would have later on in the Gospels. Not a true repentance. Um, just a very shallow man this is. Like all things, this is superficial. But he's not dumb and he quickly realizes that there are other issues in here. Bigger issues for him. If he wants to be well liked in his kingdom, he, he can't go back on this word. The Jewish people do not like him because of this kind of craziness that's going on. So he's, he's got to keep the favor of his military officials and, and the other important guests that he's got here. So, you know, uh, he was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word here. And immediately, yeah, that's how quick his grief was. The king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He sent the executioner away that the promise that he'd return with the banquet's main dish, John's head, 
on a platter. A body, raunchy birthday party has now been turned into a death party, a lynching, an execution. What should be a celebration of life, a birthday, should be a celebration of, of remembering God giving you life and bringing you into this world has now turned into something just so wicked and evil. An event which celebrates life is corrupted and, and sin and evil have, have birthed death instead. So, this, this takes place pretty quickly. It doesn't give us an exact timeline, but it's before the end of the party. Well before the end of the party, it sounds like. And, and the executioner does his job. He brings the head to Salome. Salome gives it to Herodias. They're passing around John's head like a, like a dish of mashed potatoes. I mean, this is just absolutely evil and wicked. And at this event, we should be celebrating God's goodness. It's turned into evil, and, and Satan always tries to do this. He always seeks to, to mock God's goodness, yet, yet he never succeeds. Even, even after enticing Adam and Eve in the garden to be their own gods, in chapter 3 of Genesis, God promises that Satan will be crushed. And Adam's seed will bring forth a Savior. Life will come from death. And Satan's plan is destroyed from the very first chapters of the Scripture. You, you would think he would learn. But he doesn't. So John, we see, stood strong for the Lord. He was martyred for his love of the Lord, his obedience and faith. He was an oak which shot down deep roots anchored in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's fitting that this account ends with, with evidence of John's great influence. The last verse, one of his disciples heard of it. They came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. We said very matter-of-factly yet, just think about this. They've just executed the leader of his movement, of this movement, right? What happens to the followers of these movements? They seek after them to, to imprison and to put them to death as well. Yet these disciples, what did they do? They didn't care about the cost. They went and grabbed their master's decapitated body and gave him a proper burial. They had been raised as an oak and they now were following in his footsteps. And they would soon be looking for a new master. The one their master had told them about. The one who John said, whose sandal strap he wasn't even worthy of time. So this account of John's martyrdom prefigures a far greater sacrifice. Just think about this. We'll soon meet a weak man blown by the wind of the crowd. 
Pontius Pilate. He will order Christ put to death. And this is against his will. Yet he does this to appease the crowd and the religious leaders. Jesus is, is sacrificed on the tree. I mean, just think, Herod's evil women witnessed John's execution and death and they were giddy and excited. Jesus' faithful women go to his tomb to minister to his corpse. And they don't find death. They don't find the corpse. They find life. They find the risen Lord ultimately. After John's martyrdom, Christ will soon start telling his disciples, we'll come to this shortly, that he will be persecuted, crucified, and will rise from the dead in three days later. Come back to life. John's martyrdom, his execution, is a foreshadowing of what will happen to Christ. Yet only, only Christ's sacrifice brings salvation to his people. So John's execution prefigures it. But Christ fulfills it in a more marvelous and amazing way. And even more, Christ calls us to expect suffering as well. And he tells us to take up our cross daily and, and to follow him. So just think about, about John's disciples and their situation. They, they never found an empty tomb. They never got to eat on the beach with their, with their master, risen master. Or they never had John walk with them for hours, teaching them the scriptures from the beginning as Christ did. Christ fulfilled the resurrection Herod alluded to earlier. Yes, one will rise from the dead and perform great miracles, as Herod acknowledged. Miracles beyond anything he had seen or, or heard about even at this time. This resurrected one is eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing and never-changing. Not only is he not a reed blown by the wind, like Herod. He governs the wind which withers the weak reeds. He is the oak of righteousness. The oak of righteousness was planted by the rivers of water as we read in Psalm 1 and his leaf never withers and all he does is prospers. We are that prosperity of Christ if we have trusted in his atoning death for our sins and believe that he rose from the dead and that he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, we are his saplings. We will not be blown down, but will stand tall, rooted deeply in Christ, nourished by his word and the Holy Spirit, growing, growing, and growing in him. And on that day when Christ comes in all the fullness of the kingdom, we will be oaks as well. Our fear, a true fear of the Lord, will be in Jesus Christ. Now we'll 
see shortly as we continue on through Mark uh, uh, the kind of banquet Jesus has for, for thousands of souls who follow him out in the wilderness. As he feeds the thousands with just a piece of bread and some fish. Yet an even greater banquet is promised for those who are not limp, fearful, restless, wind-blown quills like John the Baptist, but who walk in the Spirit anchored in Christ. We will feast with Christ at the wedding supper of the Lamb, far surpassing the gaudy extravagance of a weak-minded, quivering king. This supper will feed us for eternity, not just an evening. It will be the celebration of the true king, and all others in attendance will gladly throw their crowns before him. We will acknowledge his greatness and his goodness. We will bow to him. And he will forever feed us from that great tree which never dies, the tree of life which never wavers. So what is the spirit of truth saying to us today? We, we, we could speak the truth of the kingdom of God in the fear of the Lord. Let, let his word work as he promised, and, and make the decision to fear man or, or to fear God rest upon, rest upon the unbeliever. Spurgeon once declared that our job is not to defend the word of God, but to unleash it and watch it work. In the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do that. And then we can rejoice in the Lord if, if we're considered worthy to suffer for His Word. Of course, this is easier said than done. But we, we have a rich history, as we see in this passage, of, of faithful men of God to remember the saints of Christ throughout history have, have, have done this. And we serve a, a suffering Savior, we must always remember who promised that we would have such difficulties. And we must be brave in the Lord. He tells us that even His Spirit will give us the words to speak as we're <clears throat> dealing with such troubles. But finally, let's, let's meditate upon the great feast which, which Christ has, has prepared for us. Remember, what our great shepherd said through Psalm, through David in Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall be with me all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We pray that you do <clears throat> give us wisdom to understand all, all you've given us here that we would be faithful to you, uh, understanding that, that the days are evil, and yet you are good and your spirit works in us. Bless us the rest of this service, the rest of this day, the rest of the week, and then the rest of our lives. In your Son's name. Amen.